Hi, friends. Before I jump into today's episode, I just want to give you a quick heads up that you're going to hear a lot of digital interruptions, interruptions from my family while in quarantine and an Oklahoma storm that came in in the middle of this recording with Jen Schwanke on leading from a distance, part two. In fact, um, we were recording this through Zoom to the cloud, and so there were several times where uh, the recording was picking up Jen, and I couldn't hear her, so I was having to guess at things that she was saying, but um, I decided to leave all of those interruptions in, including a conversation that we have while we're pausing for technology to catch up on on Oklahoma storms. So hope you don't mind all the uh, casual conversation as well as conversations about school, but uh, this is life in quarantine. So thanks for the work that you're doing while you're leading from a distance. Thanks again for doing what matters, and I'll talk to you soon. Principal Matters Podcast, episode 192. Hi, friends. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the school leaders podcast. Each week, we bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. This week, I'm joined again by my co-host, Jen Schwanke, who's the principal of Indian Run Elementary in Dublin, Ohio, and the principal of two books. You're the principal now what? And the principal reboot, eight ways to revitalize your school leadership. Jen, welcome back. As we talk about, again, leading from a distance. And before we do, I just want to congratulate you again on your new book. I know I've been saddened for you to see that hard work shadowed by all the things that have been happening, but I was also thrilled when I saw a post that people were so interested in the book that you had to reach out so Amazon could restock their supply. And so congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. On March 16th was the last day we saw our students and that was the day that the book dropped. And it was such an, a whirl of emotions that day. But But I do think it's speaking to people at this point because the book is really about I'm going to be very frank. It's about when you're tired and what you can do that maybe will just boost you back up as a principal. And so I think this all happened at a time many administrators were tired. And so I hope they're using the time not just to read professional books, but to read a lot of of other things as well. And I know we're going to talk about that, about balance and care today. Well, and that's where I'd like to begin because last week we talked a lot about perspective on leadership and just trying to make sure that we're keeping our own thoughts in control and focusing on the right things when it comes to supporting our people and focusing on what works for us, not comparing ourselves to other people. And I do want to talk a little bit more about practice in a minute, Jen, but I want to just start at the beginning by asking you, what are some things you're doing for self-care? Because I've talked to some principals and administrators who told me in the beginning of this distance learning that they were working more hours than they ever had worked this school year, and they were putting in such long hours to try to develop plans and now that they've launched, maybe things have become maybe a new norm is forming. But I'm just curious, what are some things the Schwankies or you've been doing for self-care um, during this time for your own mental well-being? It's really a challenge in ways I didn't expect. And, you know, the principals you have spoken to, I'm sure would say the same thing. I didn't see it coming. I thought, okay, I'll be working from home. I'll return a few emails. I'll set up some structures. And it brings me to a funny story. My mom said to me, well, what do you do, honey? And I said, mom, I have no idea, but it takes me 14 hours a day to do it. I don't (laughs) know what I do. (laughs) And I think a lot of people would say, what in the world could take that long? But it was a nonstop first thing in the morning until I collapsed in bed at night, just moving information around, answering questions, trying to set up systems, trying to help teachers feel better, connect with families, make videos, learn all of these things all at once. And you're right. It has... I wouldn't say it has slowed down. I would say I'm better at it. 
I'm better at managing it. I have learned that feeling when my eyebrows seem to be frozen in a certain you know, position, I need to get up. I need to put the leash on the dog and go for a walk. When I hear my mm-hmm. children throttling each other in a side room, I need to go attend to them, get them back where they need to be and, and, you know, give them a snack, take a walk with them or whatever. So I have really learned the rhythm of my household, my own rhythms. Just to make an analogy, we do some horse riding in my house and we have a horse who's very feisty and she gets to where she just wants to kick and buck sometimes. And what you have to do is pull her up, take a walk, take a breath and start over. And I really do connect that to this experience. To stay healthy and sane, you've got to know when to pull the reins and take a little bit of a break. I like that. Well, at the Parker house, it's been very similar. Uh, you know, <laughs> the new norm was was so different from, you know, of course I, I work a lot on the road and I work a lot from different locations, but suddenly trying to figure out how to provide supports for principals here in, in Oklahoma, especially, and with those I connect with outside of my state was a completely new norm. And of course, like you said, once you've found a new routine, then you begin to develop new habits. But our dog has become my best friend <laughs> through all of this. And so I, it, I can't tell you how many times a day that um, I'll look down and, and she's laying beside me or she's ready for a walk. And, and it's just the perfect time to just stop everything and get the leash and go out and do it do a lap around the block and come back and get started again. And so our pet has been um, an enormous blessing. Yesterday, we took her to some property that our church owns that's, that's not been developed yet, but they let people come out there and just walk and have a nature trail. And she found this pit full of muddy water and just dove in oh. head first, was swimming in the thing like we thought she was going to drown, but of course she didn't. She, she just had the time of her life, but she has just brought so much joy to us. And I think she's going to grieve so much when we go oh. back. It's so true. All the cats are so annoyed. They want us to go back from where we came from, but the dogs, I always think lest we think there are all losers in this situation. Oh no, the dogs, the dogs are winners and they are so happy. <laughs> well, self-care still matters. And one of the things I always try to remind myself of when I'm doing something new is I think back to the other times I've done things new. Like when I was a new teacher, how overwhelmed I felt and just how I felt like I was drowning until I finally got some control over what the new norm was or when I became an assistant principal and I had that same experience. I felt like I was drowning and, and I, it took me a long time to wrap my mind and arms around that experience. And when then I transitioned to leading a school as a principal, that was the first time in my adulthood where I actually stopped and realized that I felt like I was drowning. And I asked myself the important question, what did I do the last times these happened to help me create a new norm? And one of the things, Jen, that I learned in that experience that I've still tried to practice is to stay committed to the healthiest routines that I possibly can through that change so that I can stay as healthy as I possibly can through that change. And so for me, that means that I still try to maintain an exercise routine or good nutrition. And I'm not doing that perfectly by any means. I think everybody in this quarantine has gained weight, but because we love to bake so much, but, but I still think that, you know, if you're listening to this conversation, Principal Matters listeners, one of the reasons I wanted to start with self-care is just to remind you that it's important to reflect on what am I doing to take care of me? Because I bet a lot of you leaders out there have been taking care of a lot of people and you're taking care of your schools and you're thinking really hard about what you can still do to provide that kind of service for the remainder of the school year through distance learning. But please make sure that you're taking time for you so that your batteries are recharged, so that you have the energy that it takes to serve others. Any other thoughts on that, Jen? 
And I want to use that to jump into something else you and I wanted to talk about today, which is taking care of children. If, if any Principal Matters listeners out there are, are, have children, I think I went into this thinking that my care of my children would be a separate category of my than my care of myself. And what I mean by that is I have found that it doesn't have to be them and then me. It can be together. And so, and we see this all over. Families are walking together. Families are, as they say, eating groceries together. So meals at home, healthy meals. We have, my children, like anyone else's, I'm sure, would much rather lie on the couch looking at a screen or a video game than going for a walk. But about two minutes into the walk, they're cheerful, they're happy, they're glad we're doing it, and we're together as a family. And so I think a lot of educators are struggling with working at home and also tending to their children. And I'm not yet saying how that can be done. I'm saying the care can be done together. The self-care and the care of children can happen at the same time. So it doesn't have to be something on the to-do list. Okay, take care of myself. Okay, go down the hall and take care of the kids. Okay, go down the hall and take care of the husband. You don't have to do it separately. It can all be done together. And self-care can look a lot like family care. Yeah, thank you, Jen, for that. And I do have to apologize to Principal Miners listeners because I'm recording from my house and there's all kinds of noises going on around. And there's a storm, Oklahoma thunderstorm moving in as we're speaking. So you're probably hearing some disruptions in our connection right now because I'm, I'm experiencing some. And so I apologize for that. But Jen, I agree. And so I'm curious, as you're talking to your teachers who are also parents, that's a lot to manage. You know, they're is. trying to teach and at the same time they're trying to parent. What kind of feedback are you giving to your own teachers to remind them that it, what we talked about last week, right. how, how do you give grace to them in a time where they're trying to do both? It was day three of this whole mess. And I had a teacher call me sobbing. She said, I'm not doing anything well, nothing. She has a, get this, a three-year-old and a one-year-old. She has a husband with a very high stress technology job at a local university. And she said, I can't do it. I can't do it. And I said, well, stop, stop. Don't do any of it then. Don't do any of it right now. What you can do is think of what, how you can structure your day. I said, stop thinking that you have to teach from 8.05 to 3.40 every day and that you parent from 3.40 to 9 p.m. because that doesn't work in this scenario. Maybe some of your teaching and planning happens when those little guys are in bed. Maybe you tell your parents, I will have a tight series of things that you are going to work on and I will post it the night before and then let yourself not check your computer until it's nap time or whatever. Everybody's home environment is different. Everybody's schedule is different. And I think our families and students understand that. Never has has anybody said we have to replicate the school day exactly. Now, I know some districts are, are tracking attendance by times that people log in. I know that. But I also know that for our teachers who are managing households, especially if they have students with special needs or they have a family dynamic that's complicated. We as principals, I think, really need to try to give them the latitude and the professional respect to do it the way it will work for them. And if we tell the families, hey, we're all going to be on a fluid schedule here, it really does work. And so, again, I'm not trying to tell anybody they're doing it the wrong way, but that was a way that I could tell this teacher, you're going to get through this because you're going to make it fit with the rhythm of your home. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. And, you know, Jen, it makes me think about that because I've talked to principals who want to make sure their teachers know that they have their trust. And then at the same time, they're hearing from the their upper administration the importance of accountability for title reports or all those things that you know that you're going to need to keep records of if you've got paraprofessionals or Title I employees. You know, So some of those things that create this tension of like, well, how do I track 
and, and maintain accountability, but also present to my staff that I trust them. And so I love it that, that you brought this up because I think it's important when you're talking to your staff that if there are accountability measures that are district expectations that you say, just say that. These are things that our district has provided as expectations, but I, I must repeat to you guys how important it is for you to know that I trust you and that I believe you're going to do what's best for you and your family. And sometimes that means you have permission to not be perfect and you have permission to to take a break. I've even talked to friends of mine who are trying to parent and work. You know, I, we have a friend who's a healthcare worker and she's trying to figure out how do I provide healthcare and then come home and try to make sure that my my kids, because my husband can be here with them, but how do we manage their education? And, and my advice to her was don't try to do it all. It's okay if you don't. It's really exactly. okay. Because exactly. those teachers that are supporting your kids are going to care a whole lot more about the fact that they're safe and they're happy and they're healthy than if they're covering all the material that they've provided to them. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I also just told my teachers, there is no COVID police. Nobody's had time to build the COVID police force. So nobody's going to come arrest you and get you in a lot of trouble if you don't do this exactly right. Because again, it's not been done before. So there's no criteria for what it looks like when it's wrong. So don't worry about COVID-19 police. Do your best. And again, I have to shout out to my district because my my leaders are very understanding about flexibility and how teacher respect for professionalism is is really the way to go. I'll tell you a funny story though, while we're waiting to see if what happens with our technology connection. But my um I have two college daughters who came home because their campus is closed. And my second daughter, Maddie. Our three girls have already shared a room. The large, we gave them the master bedroom years ago because the three of them needed a lot of space. And so uh, when they came home, it was the the prospect of rooming together again was like, oh no, here we go again. And so my second daughter, Maddie, from the time she was really little, always dreamed of a Harry Potter room. She's always looked at the closet we have under the stairs and asked us, can I clean this out and make it mine? And we've always told her, no, people will think we're abusing you. But now she's now she's, you know, a young adult. So she was like, Hey, can I have the Harry Potter room? So we gave her free reign. So she's, she moved everything out. We put it in storage and she's, she has her mattress and a little dresser and a lamp in there. And that has become, that's become her place. Of course we tease her. My daughter would, would burst. She loves little spaces, (laughs) little, like she loves to put her stuff in a corner and it's just a thing. Well, we tease Maddie because if we do have severe weather here, then that's where we all are. Yeah. We'll be in her new room. Well, Jen, we might need to wrap it up. I'm just, okay. I, I don't want to keep our conversation going if it's going to be, if it's going to not be productive and if it's going to keep us from hearing each other. Well, Jen, let's take a minute and talk about how, you know, you talk, we've talked about supporting teachers as they parent. Let's also talk about supporting them in their instruction because this is such a different way to teach. And so I'm just really curious in your own practice, how you've been able to prepare and help teachers differentiate. This is so different than I'm sure most of them have ever had to teach. Yes, they had differentiation down pat for when they were all in a room together, but now differentiation needs to look so different. And I've I've encouraged them to really open up the lines of communication with their students and the parents. You know, what is it that you have? What is it that you need? What is it that's scary and confusing to you? In a lot of ways, this is going to look like one-on-one tutoring, which is not what we want unless it will look like that unless we help teachers think about how to group students together, how to really keep expectations fluid, how to keep our rubrics wide open with the language that we use, because we do need 
we can't punish the students for what's happening. We can't set some expectations that simply aren't attainable for, for students. And I think that especially for school teachers that are more old school, that's what they're used to doing. This is the bar. You reach it. You don't reach it. That's what we're going to, that's how you're going to be measured. And, and I just told teachers, you know, don't be angry or upset or feel it's a personal affront if, if you're not getting engagement to the level you expect from a certain family when another family, you know, they're not only completing everything, but they're doing it by 9 a.m. We just have to really let our expectations be fluid and our language be a lot more forgiving. Mm, I like that. And Jen, I want to ask a practical question from the elementary perspective because I'm a secondary person. And so, because I'm sure this question has come up because it's come up in some of the conversations I've had with elementary leaders, which is, I think there's this consistent concern that they have about reading and the gaps might be growing in your students that are not present and, and aren't getting as much instruction as the, I'm just curious to tell you, sure, if it hasn't already, that question will be coming up. Well, I'm going to tell you my personal answer, Will. I have a lot of experience with literacy, and I'm going to be speaking as Jen Schwanke now. This is not me speaking as a, as a literacy expert or someone who knows about decoding and diphthongs and diet graphs or diagrams. I think that to stress about the gaps in literacy is taking credit away from our kids. I think it's not giving them enough credit. Kids are going to adapt. They're going to learn more quickly. In this time, they're going to grow. They're going to learn. They're going to change. In a lot of cases, I wonder if they won't be more ready now. Sometimes with early literacy, and again, I'm speaking for myself. I don't mean to offend, but but sometimes I feel like we cram it down their throats before they're ready. I don't worry about those gaps. I think when we get back in the fall, we're going to do like we always do with kids. We're going to do some assessments. We're going to see where they are. We're going to group kids into, into specific instructional areas where they, they need some help with literacy, and we're going to catch them up. And I think this whole thing has ca- called a lot of things into question, including some of the benchmarks we have for students. I don't think you can count on every eight-year-old to be at a certain benchmark at a certain time. In a lot of ways, this might be a blessing because we might say, you know what, if we just back off and wait a minute, some of our struggling readers will, they'll be okay. Now, obviously there's a lot of intervention that's going to need to happen and teachers are going to need to be more creative with some of their literacy instruction. But to say that the gaps are going to be lifelong gaps is really taking credit away from students when, when they'll be all right. They're, they're going to be okay. I like that. And can you repeat that? Stressing about the gaps is if we stress about the gaps that are going to be created with our students, we're not giving them enough credit for the resilient learners they are, for being able to make up for lost time. And also it takes away credit from our teachers. If we say these gaps are going to be lifelong gaps, we're also then saying our teachers aren't going to be able to figure this out. And I don't believe that. I think that when we get these kids back in front of us and we put a text in front of them, we're going to be able to identify some of the gaps that exist, and we're going to be able to differentiate our instruction, intervene, and they're going to be well on their way. I have more faith in in students and in teachers than to worry about these big gaps. That's fantastic feedback, Jen. Thank you so much. Well, we talked last time about the dangers of thinking too far down the road, but I'm just curious in your own practice, uh, you guys are kind of in the, you're now into what's the second or third week of distance learning. And so what are some lessons that you've been learning as you guys have been embracing this, that you're realizing, huh, this might be some adjustments or this might be what we need to do next. I'm just curious if you've been able to, to reflect with your staff on any adjustments or changes. 
we've thought as a staff, we've reflected on how quickly we were able to learn some new technology. We've reflected on how professional development had to happen fast and it had to be effective and efficient. And and just personally, this has really made me reflect on some of the archaic practices. I say archaic because they were fine two months ago, but now I don't think they will be. How we do staff meetings, how we push out information, and how we empower our teachers to take control of their own planning and differentiation. All of those things might change because we had to do it so fast and we had to do it well and we had to do it with constant reassurance to our students and our families and we did it. And what we learned from that, first of all, is that we're pretty darn good at this teaching thing. And the second thing we learned is it might be a chance to get better and more efficient going forward. I don't know what that will look like specifically yet, but I'm really excited. I feel like we will look back to the spring of 2020 and say, wow, that was a pivotal year. It may be that we do assessments differently. It may be we reduce assessments. Again, that we change some of our rigid benchmark standards. I don't know what the change will be, but I'm really looking forward to seeing it. Well, and that reminds me so much of those teachers before who were hesitant to embrace technology or to use ways that might embed technology into their instruction. They've all embraced it now because this is the only way that they can connect and engage. And so I've actually heard a few of them celebrating the fact that this is where I was wanting to go Right. Not not wanting my kids at home, but I've been wanting to embed some practices into our into our at school practices that are similar to some of the things we're doing now. And so that does make me excited to think that so many schools across the nation now have distance learning plans that may create the option of snow days no longer meaning that people aren't still learning that you know, a school closure that may happen in the future may not be quite as scary as the ones right. that we've experienced this time. Well, let me tell you just a quick story. Today, I had a staff meeting. Staff meetings typically are about 50 minutes once a month in my building. We had a staff meeting today. It took 12 minutes because everyone was on mute. I gave the information. I had a chat room open. I had questions. Okay, we were done because it was fast. Then we had a PD right after. And one of our teachers, who's a technology whiz, Lauren Riley, she's amazing. She said, and she had worked this out ahead of time. She said, anybody who wants to stay on, I'm going to teach you about Pear Deck. And I told people, it's optional. If you don't think you're going to need this, go ahead. You can leave. So out of 75 staff members, only about 20 left. Everyone else stayed. And in the next 20 minutes, they learned some really, really fun, exciting ways that they can interact with their students. And the entire time was less than if it had taken two different sessions. So that's what I mean about going forward. I think that we're going to find ways to move information around that are much more efficient and speak to people's needs. And then you can do choice-based BD right there and then. It was really pretty um, moving day for me professionally. Oh, that's so encouraging. And it reminds me of, you know, when I was at the secondary level and we would sometimes have conflicts with faculty meetings and parent conferences or athletic events. And I started videoing some of my meetings and just making them available for teachers to watch and then give me some reflection. So I knew that they received the information and, and they appreciate it, you know, because, because you're respecting their time, it's efficient. And so I, I think you're right. I think a lot of the practices that we're using right now are things that we can replicate in future situations. Of course, what we don't want to do is send those to teachers at 10 o'clock at night or, right. or four o'clock in the morning or, or take them away from time when they need to be with their families. And so principal managers, listeners, as you are celebrating the creativity you've discovered, respect your own time to make sure that you're, that you're not overdoing that. 
and respect your teachers' times too, so that they still have time to be families. Right. And speaking of which, Jen, I'm going to wrap up this conversation because you and I have both had a long day and I know you need to be with yours and I need to be with mine. But I just want to tell you, thank you again for the leadership that you are providing in your district, for taking some time after a long day to connect and talk about the work that you guys are doing in in Ohio. And um, I'm so excited to hear your reflections and be reminded that we can still be leaders even from a distance. So Principal Matters listeners, thanks for doing what matters. And we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks everyone. Take care of yourselves, truly. Take care of yourselves and we'll see you soon. If you'd like other free resources like this one, you can check out all my posts at williamdparker.com.